Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. Our guest today takes us on a thoughtful and rewarding mythic journey that is equal parts inward and universal. So what happens when a contemplative heart uncovers timeless patterns of unity, oneness, and wholeness as they unfold in life? Well, we are going to find out. And one answer that I might say is brilliance. 1969 was a year that shaped a generation with the lunar landing and Woodstock. The archetypal lessons, lessons, well, can't read this morning. The archetypal lessons gleaned from this journey in 1969 are just as relevant. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm going to have to get Bob on here to help me talk here. As relevant, sorry, Bob, as relevant, not relevant, as relevant today as they were 50 years ago. Oh my gosh. Okay. Now we'll get the juices flowing as we wake everybody up with all those mispronouncements. I am here to provide a treat for you, a journey into living deeply. And we're going to follow a year of living deeply with our guest. I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, open your mind and heart and settle into your essential wholeness. As I introduce our guest, Dr. Robert Atkinson, author, educator, and developmental psychologist, has published nine books including the 2017 Nautilus Book Award winner, The Story of Our Time, From Duality to Interconnectedness to Oneness. And yes, you've heard us talk about that one on this show late last year. And then A Year of Living Deeply, a memoir of 1969. It's the 50th anniversary, and there's a new edition of this out, and I have it in my hand, and it's a surprise. It's a surprise. So I'm going to talk lots about that. Bob is an internationally recognized authority on life story interviewing, a pioneer in the techniques of personal myth-making and soul-making, a member of Evolutionary Leaders, Professor Emeritus at the University of Southern Maine, and Director of Story Commons. And there's so much more to Bob's story. I'm looking forward to have him unpack it for you. Welcome, Bob. Thank you, Julie. It's great to be with you again. Oh, I'm really happy to have you here. And I apologize for all of those little bloopers, um, but they woke me up. So hopefully they'll wake our <laughs> listeners up to really some incredible, amazing content that we're going to cover today. I'm really looking forward to this. Like I mentioned, this little book is so delightful. So first, Bob, I'm going to ask you my traditional first question that I have asked you before, but every time I do... Beauty and magnificence always shines through with these answers from our guests. So I'm going to ask you if you could share with our listeners today, what does all things connected mean to you? Uh, what a wonderful question to begin with and to remember every moment of our lives 
whatever our individual answers might be to that. But I, I think this time, I think I will answer the question a little bit differently than I did the last time. And, and I'm going to answer it with a Pete Seeger story. Mm. Because um, it was, as you mentioned, this is the 50th anniversary edition of the book, of, of the memoir. And so 50 years ago, I was just starting out in my, my own spiritual journey, going from one adventure to another without knowing where either any of them were going to be leading me. But I, that was when the summer of 1969 was when I reconnected with Pete Seeger. I had met him the year before when I was working on my uh, master's thesis in American folk culture. It was actually a life story interview of a Catskill Mountain farmer singer who Pete knew. So I met him a year before and this summer of 69, I met him again when the Clearwater was on its way. It had just been launched in Maine and was on its way to New York City to begin the maiden voyage from New York to Albany. And Pete had invited me to be a crew member on that maiden voyage of the Clearwater. And I was, so I went into New York City to meet the Clearwater to become a crew member. And I was standing there on uh, South Street Seaport Pier with hundreds of other people listening to him describe his vision. And th this is how he put it. This is his vision of, of why the Clearwater was there, what it was sailing for. He said, who's going to clean up this river of ours? No polluter, no politician is going to lift a finger unless we insist on it. So we have to make ourselves heard we're all in this environmental thing together. Not even a millionaire can escape it. We've got to take action right now. We may have to start small, but each of us can do something. First, we can all do some reading, get copies of the books we have here on the, slip, on the ship, find out the facts about environmental crisis, then talk it up. The idea is simple, he continued. We want people to come down to the river again, but the most important thing is to get together because we just don't, won't make it unless we can talk to one another and agree on what we all have to do. All of us, young and old, black and white, rich and poor, long hair and crew cut. We hope some people will say, gee, this river is a mess, ought to do something about it. You see, Everything in the world is tied together. You clean up a river, and soon you have to work on cleaning up society. So let's get together and make this thing work. We can do it. Don't let anyone tell you we can't. And that was in 1969, a year before the first Earth Day. But Pete Seeger was telling us in his way that all things are connected. All things are tied together. And so it's not just about singing a protest song or it's not even just about the civil rights movement or it's not even about cleaning up a river. It's about all of those things together because everything is literally connected. Mm. Bob, that's a beautiful introduction to this 
experience of reading your book. Um, this year of living deeply is so it's almost ineffable to hear your stories and you leave enough um, to our imagination to fill in what we need and yet take us on this journey. So you, I'm going to start with something I mentioned in your bio, because I I think this is relevant. You're a pioneer in the techniques of personal myth-making and soul-making. I wrote that in, read that in your bio. And this Mm. book brings to life for me the genius in that, the, the genius in you. It's as if the reader has the sacred privilege of witnessing your brilliance being born. It's like, it, to me, it's like the formation of Bob Atkinson as this spiritual teacher and this expert. It's kind of like um, just really a sacred just this little glimpse into your life. So let's begin first by having you tell us a little bit about who you are, who is Bob Atkinson, Robert Atkinson, and how you evolved into being this pioneer in the techniques of personal myth-making and soul-making, because you led us into your soul-making experience, and then we're going to dig more deep in that. But then perhaps after you tell us a little bit about you, you can explain what is personal myth-making and soul-making. I I would love to hear you respond to that too, but who is Bob Atkinson? Wow. Well, thanks very much, Julie, for that, um, for, for what you see in this, uh, in this memoir, because, um, I mean, I I couldn't uh, really ask for or expect anything more from anyone reading it than what you just described, because that's uh, really the, that is the ultimate kind of goal and purpose of the memoir is to be able to see what you just described that you saw in it. Mm. So thank you for that. Um, And I guess uh, just a couple of quick things as kind of preparation for me being, uh, first of all, really being open to having these kinds of experiences that I describe in the memoir. and that that really is a key for anyone who uh, I'll get I'll come back to this in a moment about how what the what the um, purpose of this now I think is fifty years later after this happened in my life is to be able to provide some guideposts along the way for others to see the same archetypes and motifs that I discovered in my life 50 years ago, before I even knew what they were. And and that's, um, so I'll come back to that in a minute, but going, what kind of prepared me to be ready or open to this was a couple of things in my uh, early childhood. I mean, when I was about nine years old, my grandmother came to live with us for part of the year. And as an only child, I got to spend time with my grandmother, and even when she took her own time to do her um, private meditation, prayer meditation in her room, I could, I first observed her, and and I 
became familiar with what her regular daily practice was. And for me as a nine-year-old, I, it, it didn't make complete sense to me then, but I knew that it had some meaning not only for her, but uh, for my nine-year-old soul as well. And, and that, that really started a, a curiosity in me about what it is, first of all, that um, provides meaning and purpose to a person's life and, and what and gave me a, a d- direct kind of sense of what, what devotion can be like in someone's life. And that kind of s- sat within me for many years and really didn't come out, uh, I don't think, until I got to college. And then when I got to college, I discovered that I couldn't really find anything that I was really that excited about majoring in except philosophy. So that, so I decided to major in philosophy. And that led me to not only philosophy, but, but um, mythology and world religions and that whole area. And, that, and that's when I realized that there was a connection between my personal quest for meaning and understanding how, and I, I recognized then that that connected back to my experience as a nine-year-old, observing my grandmother do that in her own way. And so that, so from college, with that major of philosophy, which took me into mythology and comparative religion, uh, I just uh, began, uh, it was a, it was soon after my master's degree in American folk culture that I began having this series of adventures. And so the, the memoir begins with the moonwalk, July of 1969. And then that section that I read from Pete Seeger, that was just a few weeks after the moonwalk. But the thing about my adventures and one leading to the next without knowing where I was going to be going, where they would be taking me, is that I discovered midway through that I was living a universal, timeless, mythic pattern that I really wouldn't have been as aware of if I hadn't uh, kind of uh, spontaneously and serendipitously sort of ran into Joseph Campbell himself, uh, who became my second mentor, along with Pete Seeger. And so it was Joseph Campbell being, I can tell the quick story of how that happened too, because that's a part of the whole process of one thing unfolding and leading to another. I was, um, at the time I was living in a cabin in the woods uh, about an hour from New York City on the Hudson River. And I went into the city one day by chance and I was wandering along 8th Street and a book in the 8th Street bookshop window drew me in. I went into the bookstore, I found the book, I picked it up, started reading it and then I just kind of glanced up and saw the bulletin board right in front of me and there on the bulletin board was a, a 
flyer, poster, announcing a talk by Joseph Campbell, whose book I was reading, that, that same night, only a couple of blocks away at Cooper Union. So I knew I had to go over there and, and find out about this from the source. So I sat down in the Great Hall at Cooper Union. It filled up around me. I didn't even uh, realize it was getting filled. And when Joseph Campbell started talking, it was as if I was the only person in that great hall. He was, what he had to say was directly uh, relating to my adventures, my experiences at that time. And I had, and and I was still in the in the midst of it. And little did I know then that my completion of the. Uh, archetypal pattern that he was describing, I had no idea how it was going to come to a completion for me, which I'll get to later. But having uh, sitting there in Cooper Union, listening listening to him talk about it, was really the way that I became so drawn in, not only to be able to understand my own experience, but to want to be able to help other people find how their lives mirrored and followed the same ageless pattern. And so many, many years later, uh, a chapter in one of my first books was about personal myth-making, and it was based on Joseph Campbell's monomyth, or the journey of the hero, the pattern that has now become pretty familiar and well-known, partly not only through Joseph Campbell's work, but also through the Star Wars series and, and uh, George Lucas, who um, who had uh, acknowledged his um, his um, uh, being influenced by Joseph Campbell as well for the movies that that he made. So, so it's a pretty well-known pattern now, and and the thing about it is that it, it's it's um, not only an ageless, universal archetypal pattern is also a contemporary personal pattern that we all can live in our in our own lives as well. So I developed a sort of a, a basic um, guideline or guide to to personal myth, to personal myth making in that way. You know, after having experienced it myself, learned from Joseph Campbell, we, we spent some time together in his, uh, his home in Greenwich Village, uh, just listened to him tell me more about it and learn that way about it and developed this, um, this approach to, uh, to assisting others to um, turn their personal life story into a hero's journey or a heroic uh, or, or a heroine's journey. And I've been doing workshops on that um, for about um, 30 years now. Mm. I want to I, I want to dig into that just a little bit more, Bob. And I but but I want to kind of preface it in <clears throat> what's going on on our planet right now. Before we dig into a year of living deeply, this personal myth making is 
it, to me, really good medicine, <laughs> like really, really good medicine. And as you're describing the hero's journey, and we, we talked about, you talked about it in the book and, and your work with Joseph, it's almost as if our collective consciousness is waking to its collective hero's journey right now. Can you, can you speak mm. to that and then maybe help with a synopsis of your 30 years work and helping people look at their lives as mythic, but, but look at that as the collective, because it's almost as if, I, I, and I, this is an insight in this moment when I was listening to you, Bob, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what's happening in our collective psyche right now is we're waking up to our own mythic journey here. So can you speak to that? Yeah, thanks again for that um, great insight. I mean, that that it, it's not as if it is. That is what is happening. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And, uh, you know, so so that and that's because the the personal reflects the collective, and the collective reflects the personal. You know, as above, so below, and everything. Uh, and so, yeah, the pattern that I was experiencing that I lived in my life that Joseph Campbell had pulled together from the world's um, hero, gods and goddesses, heroes and heroines of all time, that whole, that same pattern is also unfolding in the history of humanity. So in some ways, I mean, and so as a developmental psychologist, I also like to look at it developmentally, because the same thing is happening both on the individual level and collective level. And, and so if we're, if, if we're, uh, the, the, the individual experience of it takes us usually from a, a, a stage of um, adolescent unknowing or turmoil and or turmoil into a more mature stage of knowing and connecting. And so that's what's happening on the, on the collective level as well, where humanity as a whole is making that huge shift from leaving its adolescent period behind. It's taking us a long time and a lot of, um, a lot of uh, uh, people are having a hard time letting go of that adolescent phase of our collective de development. Yeah. But the next next stage after that is our collective maturity. And that's where we're headed as a whole, as well, as, as humanity. So, yeah, it, it's really um, about that process happening on both the individual and the collective level at the same time. And, uh, and that's another reason why I think this, um, this particular memoir is, uh, can be really helpful to, to others, not only individually, but to all of us collectively, if we can, as you just explained, can see that pattern and how it, it unfolds, manifests itself on both the individual and collective levels at the same time. So, so it's really about recognizing that it's a process that begins with a call to adventure. It's an initiating uh, quest that leads to a transformation, which is followed by a return as a new person. 
And this, this is the pattern that frames all the world's myths, sacred stories, and folk tales. And I think even though it's 50 years ago, and even though 1969 was a pretty incredible year by itself, it's still, this is still important to, especially the youth of today, the young people of today, because it can help them find their own call to adventure. It can help them be open to their own search for truth in a time of opposing views. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, that's where, um, it, you know, it, it's really, uh, I mean, that, that's the beauty of this pattern because it is universal, it is timeless. And so it's, it's relevant in every generation, every part of this planet, wherever we are, it, it, uh, the quest represents the unfolding of destiny. Mm. And and when we begin that process, we find that somehow there is guidance that is provided when we most need it. So it's not at all like we're out there in the unknown alone by ourselves. We're all the time, and, and this is what we come to realize in this in this journey, we come to realize that we're always connected, as you yeah. have so aptly used for your for the title of your show, we, that's a discovery that we naturally make during this journey of of uh, moving from the call to adventure to the transformative phase of the process. And so it's also about it also kind of brings in the whole um, idea of of the the very familiar phrase to us all: "Seek and ye shall find." which is expressed in all the sacred traditions. When we do seek diligently and thoroughly, we find that the goal of our search is the boundless consciousness that unites us all, with all that unites us with all beings and with all of creation. And that's what is also called unity consciousness or consciousness of oneness. But that's, that's all built in to the process. Mm. And and um, it's probably not as well known as it should be that even though it's in all of the sacred traditions, seek and ye shall find, the part that's not as well understood is what it is that we will find. It's not just truth, whatever that might be. It's that we're all connected. <laughs> we're all, you know, we're all united as human beings and as part of this, this wondrous creation here. Beautiful. Well, this is a, a, a beautiful place to pause um, because we need to take a break. But I love that definition of this boundless consciousness is that which unites us all. How beautiful is that? We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, so much more with living deeply when, and author Robert Atkinson will return in just a moment. You're listening to Empower Radio, an entire radio station devoted to your personal development, expanding your conscious awareness, and empowering positive change. Meet our hosts and listen online at EmpowerRadio.com, on iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher Radio, or iTunes, or download the Empower Radio app for your smartphone or tablet. It's free in the App Store, and it lets you listen to our shows and podcasts on demand. 
Empowering people, empowering change. Empower Radio, online at empowerradio.com. Okay, gang. So, chances are there'll never be an emergency ever, ever again. Mm-hmm. But just in case, let's talk about a plan. Okay. So, who's going to do what? Anyone? Uh. Yeah, okay, perfect. We'll figure it out as we go. So, who is going to grab the go bag? What's a go bag? It is a bag we do not have that is filled with things we really, really need in an emergency. Guess we won't have to worry about it then. Ah, good point. So, uh, we all know who to call if something happens then, right? I'd have to call Jill, Devin, Melissa, Karen, and Bruce. And I will try to call all of you, but Greg doesn't have a cell phone. Dad's phone will have a dead battery. No doubt. And Julie will be on the phone with Jill, Devin, and Melissa, Karen, and Bruce. Well, this is great. <laughs> I am so glad that we don't have a plan. I know. Winging it is not an emergency plan. Make sure your kids know what to do during an emergency. Who to call, where to meet, what to pack. Visit ready.gov kids for tips and information. A public service announcement brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Psst. Yeah, you, it's me, your heart. Listen to me. We've got to talk. High blood pressure is serious, and yours? Whoa. What happened to us? We used to be so much more active. But lately, you've been ignoring me. I know you think I'm just going to keep ticking away forever, but you're wrong. You can do so much more to control your high blood pressure. Doing the minimum isn't doing enough. I'm under a lot of pressure and can quit whenever I want. Bet you didn't know that. But I like my job. Just treat me better. Check on me. Give me something green to nibble on every once in a while. And maybe we can do some exercise on occasion. Let's get to it. After all, we're in this together. Listen to your heart. Don't let it quit on you. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. Find out how at heart.org slash blood pressure. Check, change, control. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. Come on, smile. Oh, honey, he's still not smiling. Maybe he's not a smiler. Yeah, maybe he's just not a happy baby. Maybe he's just being a boy. Or maybe he's teething. Maybe it's just a phase. Maybe he has autism, and we can definitely do something to help. Maybe is all you need to find out more about autism. No big, joyful smiles by six months is one early sign. Learn the others at AutismSpeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. An entire station devoted to your personal development. Welcome to Empower Radio. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and perhaps listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also, stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. Get connected in one of my private groups or work one-on-one. I invite you to be a more conscious, courageous, and compassionate co-creator of the beautiful world we want to see. You can check out those opportunities at juliecrawl.com. I'm here today with Robert Atkinson, and you can find out all about his work all of the books that I mentioned, many of them, I think nine books published, you can find Bob at robertatkinson.net. And Atkinson is spelled A-T-K-I-N-S-O-N. So robertatkinson.net. 
Uh, and Bob, right? I should call you Robert since I just said that. But right before the break, I was just, I was really in this um, almost a euphoric state listening to you talking about this boundless consciousness that unites us all. And, and you were talking about this mythic journey and this, the discovery that we're always connected. And I just wanted to bring us back there for a minute before we jump into 1969. Sure. Um, because we're, we, we are, we're inviting the listeners into their own myth-making, their own soul-making, and that mythic journey. And when you talk about that call to adventure, I, I just wanted to presence, before we get into Year of Living Deeply, the deeply part of that adventure. Because so often today in the milieu of technology and fast-paced and and young people that adventure a lot of times is that thrill-seeking adrenaline rushing you know different kind of adventure which is great um nothing against that kind of adventure but i wanted to ground it into um what you eloquently graciously do in the book is you're on the adventure and you bring that into this deep contemplative space of really looking for the meaning making in all of those small little moment by moment steps that you would take through this memoir. You look for the meaning and I appreciate that so much. So I want to just have you expand on that a little bit with the Joseph Campbell and the work that you do with the myth making is what is that adventure, that call to adventure, and how do we bring that into that deep contemplative space to make meaning and purpose? Yeah, wow, that's such a great question. Uh, to to, to uh, try to get some clarity on. Um, yeah, so what, I mean, maybe we can just, well, so what, when I began to have these experiences that are in my memoir, it was kind of like my life experiences were taking me to places that seemed like they were waiting for me to arrive. You know, it was that mm. kind of sense that I got from it all. And the adventure part, though, it, it's really uh, the the distinction between the thrill-seeking and the depth-seeking is really crucial to mm -hmm. getting getting the most out of it that that we can and so and and that <clears throat> being taken or guided to places that seemed like they were waiting for me to arrive is that's the kind of thing that Carl Jung means when he says that we're we're born with archetypal images in our unconscious that emerge into our consciousness when we have experiences of them and so these, these universal archetypes become guideposts as we venture into unknown realms. And that's really what the call to adventure is all about. It's not, and I mean, that, and that's what, that's the, the mythic way that adventure is being used here. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's a being, it's really being kind of pulled in or led into unknown realms. And when we begin and the first thing is, it, it well, the first, it's not going to feel as comfortable being drawn into unknown realms as it was before we left the familiar. That's the first thing. But we are guided, and there are other uh, 
uh, other forces and other um, ways that we're being guided through that unknown realm. And so it's a matter of, of um, becoming comfortable with the unknown and, and getting the most out of it and from, and from the unknown. Because that, that uh, being led into that realm of the unknown is really a sign of the fulfillment of potential. So if we understood that we're being led into a place that we're not familiar with because that's the way we're going to fulfill our potential, we would begin to feel a lot more comfortable a lot quicker in the unknown, in the, you know, in a realm of the unknown. But that's what it's really all about. It's it, it, uh, when, we, when we can turn or, or shift our perspective on the unknown into something that is there to help fulfill our own potential, then we can begin to and, and really have the deep desire to get as much out of that, learn as much from it as we can. And um, that's, and as we first have that sense that there's something more to be gotten from this um, realm that we're not familiar with yet, as soon as we get that sense that there is something there that could benefit us, then it's a it's the the natural response to that is to want to go deeper and deeper mm. and deeper into into it to be able to get the most out of it and and that's really what it's all about you know the more we go into those unknown realms the more we're the more we begin to uh, be able to get comfortable with it the more we gain from it mm. in ter- in terms of meaning and purpose for our own lives. I love that. That's a good introduction for us all as we're looking at this. I love the sign of, that's a sign of fulfillment of our potential. These emerging experiences are waiting for us. You know, thinking about life in that manner shifts our perspective of it. So I love that this is a a natural response. The natural response is to go deeper. I, I love that. Thank you. So it's a good setup also for your year, 1969. And it was an incredible year for the planet, for our country. And you had one of those years. You lived it. So um, I appreciate so much how your memoir brings us into those times. And as we are with you on your journey going deeper into the adventure and really listening deeply. Um, It's as if we, I don't know, it's like we're a part of the entirety of creation unfolding with you. Like it puts us in our place. It took me back, like literally I was, do you want me to tell you how old I was, Bob? (laughs) I was, I was a lot younger than you. I was eight years old in 1969, turning nine in December of that year. But as you're speaking of these adventures, even as the eight year old, 
um, I experienced the moonwalk. I experienced mm -hmm. the hubbub about Woodstock and was curious. And your adventures were beautiful, bringing you the most exquisite teachers and mentors all along your path. So let's talk about 1969 and your year of living deeply. Um, take us into that. Like you mentioned, it started out that summer with the moonwalk and then all of a sudden you have this memoir that, that goes summer, fall, winter, spring that's just full of these beautiful morsels of spiritual medicine and inspiration. Ooh, thank you again. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, um, there really was so much to it. And I mean, and, and I was uh, totally uh, fortunate or something to be able to be in the right place at the right time uh, and, and to have the experiences that I did. Um, so it was, it really was kind of a blending and emerging of, of the universal or the social with the personal or private. And so just to give you an example of that, I mean, I, I could, Maybe take a couple of minutes to read a uh, really a uh, couple of short selections that that give you a good sense of that um, shift from the from the public to the personal. But um, so we could start with the moonwalk um, and just uh, this this selection just expresses what that was like for me uh, at at that time. I was. Uh, a uh, counselor in a summer camp, and um, I. After dinner that night, we were all gathered around a television set in the dining hall, a small TV set on top of this dining hall table, a big room. And the feeling in the room was electric, as if something else of consequence was about to happen. I had just been walking out in the, by the water and had some other experiences there. Then when I came back, my thoughts were still flowing, floating above the shoreline. It was a few moments before I could focus on the image I saw on the television screen. Slowly, a broad panorama of a barren landscape took shape. The surface appeared soft and grayish with small craters scattered about. The picture faded out, then a light appeared and slowly grew larger. The strange landscape again came into view. This time, a thin metal rod pierced the soft surface. As the camera pulled back, I could see that the rod was the leg of a space module. Its three other legs appeared. Then came the first sign of movement. A figure in a bulky suit and thick boots began to climb backwards slowly and cautiously down a nine-rung ladder. One booted foot touched down, silently displacing a flurry of powdery dust. With the second foot on the surface, the figure then began to move about as if learning to walk. Soon, a second heavily suited figure joined in. Together, they glided about setting all sorts of equipment in place. Before long, one gave the loose powder a playful kick. They, they began to bounce around, hopping across the moon's surface like children of the universe. The words coming from the television set penetrated 
my mind. One small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. As the camera pulled back and shifted direction, there in the distance was the earth rise, a vision of pure beauty, the entire planet as one, strong yet fragile. This picture struck me as the most compelling photographic image imaginable. It was the first time I had really seen the earth without boundaries. It occurred to me that the planet is our sanctuary and each and every one of us on it makes up its collective conscience. In this vision, with nothing to divide us, the earth appeared as one country. And with billions of individual minds thinking a diversity of thoughts in every corner of the shimmering globe, it became apparent that all of humanity shared a common destiny. So that mm. image of the earth floating in the heavens kind of grew within me and that, and that understanding of it as one planet and with no boundaries separating us grew as well and became really uh, the, the foundation for my own um, conscious evolution. And uh, that, along with what I started out with a couple of weeks later after the moonwalk, listening to Pete Seeger uh, at South Street Seaport, talk about uh, all things connected. Here I had it from both directions, from looking at the earth from above and sitting right there on the pier on the Hudson River, uh, hearing it from Pete Seeger. So those two experiences together were really uh, the center what do they call it, the, um, the, the, uh, the main part of the foundation of my own uh, conscious evolution from that point. And then um, just to give you a sense of how that um, uh, how um, inner experiences kind of followed that, um, I was, um, after I left the summer camp soon after that, and one day I was wandering along the shoreline at Montauk Point. And um, this is part of my reflections from that, uh, those moments along the shoreline. The sea spray sparkled, gem-like, animating the world around me. Gulls with spread wings plunged into the bountiful waters and emerged with bits of nourishment. Rocks, some huddled together, some off on their own, stood firm against the onrushing tide. The waves washed the shore, singing of an eternal journey. The cliffs rising overhead sighted ships and birds, all the while catching the words of beachcombers. Steadfast, they watched the unveiling of the ever-changing sea beauty. Theirs was a vision of universal order. Again, my inner voice spoke. Let the day go by with no thought of time. What clock can confine eternity? Does the flower growing in the sun 
check a timepiece every hour. Time is the matron of evolution. Its womb is the moment. Only the living moment reveals the wonder of eternity. Come, let us go forth together, catching each moment as if it were a lifetime. There never was a moment more real than this one. Mm. So it kind of goes back and forth from what was going on around me to what was going on inside of me, uh, taking it all in, integrating it, and then going on to the next adventure. Mm. I have to tell you, you just read um, part of the quote that is one of my favorite quotes in the book, and I literally was going to close the show with that <laughs> quote about the flower growing in the sun doesn't check a timepiece every hour. It's an incredible quote. So thank you for sharing that. And I just want to presence the poetic nature of your writing. The whole memoir really um, is fragrant with that poetic prose, and yet you're you're describing all of these experiences, we're hearing your inner reflection, we're hearing that still small voice that comes clear, and then there's this poetic description, just like you just read, um, it's, it's so beautiful. So thank you for sharing that piece of you that shines through in this memoir. It's really um, such a nice touch to to just have have the words flow as we're reading. Mm, thank you, Joy. Yeah, you're welcome. So, so Bob, we're like, we have six minutes here and I want to just kind of bring this memoir kind of into a full circle for our listeners so they can pick this up. It's called Year of Living Deeply. It's a reprint of the memoir of 1969. It's the 50th anniversary. And um, I'm wondering if there, just for the, for the listeners, do you want to just kind of um, maybe give us a few pearls of wisdom from your reflection of what you gained during that year, what what were the most profound um, pieces of meaning and purpose for you that came through this incredible year and this beautiful memoir that that I'm privy to? Uh, yeah, that's a another great question and a little difficult to to uh, pin down. Um, uh, I mean, for me, I guess I may have said this already, but really what it comes down to for me in my own um, conscious evolution from this, these experiences that I had, it comes down to the two uh, kind of lessons <clears throat> that I learned from Pete Seeger and from Joseph Campbell. Pete, I read what he, what, what his, uh, <clears throat> sharing his vision of, uh, all things are tied together. And from Joseph Campbell, I, I, it was a very similar kind of experience for me with him in that um, it, one of my visits to his home in Greenwich Village, he actually gave me a copy of um, the uh, fourth volume of The Master of God, uh, 
creative mythology. And in that book, he describes how um, completing that four-volume set for him also confirmed for him the uh, something that he said he had been thinking, feeling for many, many years, and that is the the not only the biological but the spiritual unity of the human race. So I got I got that from him, and those two things from my two mentors really served me well as the foundation for what became um, so almost 50 years later, my, my uh, previous book, The Story of Our Time, from duality to interconnectedness to oneness. And, and they were the, they, they provided that foundation uh, for me and it grew in many ways over many years from there. Mm. Um, but the thing, I, I, I mean, <clears throat> maybe if we have, what, what do we have, a couple of minutes? Well, I'm going to give you about a minute and a <laughs> half. <laughs> um, well, I guess so. I guess what I'd like to close with then is that um, even though this is a very personal memoir, as they all are, it's also very universal. And I think people yeah. will be able to find something of their own experience in it, if not specifically connected to my uh Direct experience, at least through the through the uh, universal archetypes that are shared and expressed through there, and, and that's the important thing for me now. One of the reasons I was hoping to be able to get this 50th anniversary edition out is that there, there's a there's a part of what's here in the book that I think really will uh, connect with each each reader. And it's a way in which um, others can find and identify for themselves whatever their own living myth is as it's unfolding in their own lives, whether they've already lived and completed this, this cycle, this pattern, or whether they're beginning it or in the middle of it, wherever they are in it, it's the kind of thing that anyone can identify common themes and motifs and archetypes that are basically transformative. I mean, that's what really what it was all about mm -hmm. for me. It was a period of, of my early young adult transformation. And so, so another quick thing on my website, uh, just for people who are interested in kind of following through or following up on anything to do with personal myth-making, I do have available on my website now a, a uh, brief guide to personal myth-making that anyone can download from my website if they're interested in doing this on their own, mm. uh, which includes worksheets and lots of other ways to um, kind of discover and follow this pattern in your own life and write about it, write, write your own mm. mythic memoir. Oh, beautiful. What an amazing gift for all of us. Thank you. I'm going to remind everybody that's robertatkinson.net. So, Bob, thank you so much for sharing this with me and our listeners today and with the world at large again 50 years later. Thank you, Julie. It's been great talking.
Yeah, and I did find another quote I want to share with you as we leave the show today from Bob. I became poignantly aware that there would always be something within me that I would not be able to fully express as I was still in the process of becoming whole. And I came to understand that if I surrendered my individual will to the universal will, I might feel a benevolent power aiding me in making the choices I faced, in connecting more deeply with others, and in adopting and holding the right attitude in each situation. I was determined to place my trust in this larger will. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Remember, together, we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.